Hi, it's Alex here. The Future of Film Summit 2020 is coming this November, and I'm so excited about what will be the first fully digital future of film. Not only will there be some incredible speakers and partners, we are in the process of building an interactive, digital-first experience that is going to be unlike any other film event. More details about this in the coming weeks, but while we are still shaping the programme, we'd really like to hear from you. What is the number one thing you would like to see at the Future of Film Summit 2020? What is the most pressing issue in determining film's future? Or put another way, what would you like to learn most about? Email me personally at alex at futureoffilm.live or share your suggestions on Twitter at futureoffilm underscore. You can see more about the summit and get tickets at futureoffilm.live. But for now, I'd love to hear from you and what you would like to see at the Future of Film Summit Online 2020. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 4 of the Future of Film podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz, and this is a show where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers, and disruptors who are shaping the future of film. And in this, this episode, I'm delighted to welcome storyteller extraordinaire Diana Williams. Diana is Executive Vice President of Creative at Madison Wells Media Universe. And if you haven't heard of MWM, it has been twice named on Fast Company's 10 Most Innovative Companies list. They are a unique and very exciting entertainment media company that have a format agnostic approach. They work across film, games, podcasts even, live events, VR, whatever or wherever the story works best. And in her role, Diana oversees all the creative aspects of MWM Universe and is responsible for building creative content strategy, world building, content production and data analytics. I had so much fun talking with Diana and learning about her unique approach to storytelling, creative collaboration and developing IP successfully across multiple platforms. This leads to what Diana refers to as the F word, franchises. And she explains how she is trying to reclaim that term and way of thinking as a strategy for independent storytellers. This episode was recorded as part of Rebels of Storytelling, which is a free video series you can watch now at futureoffilm.live. Rebels of Storytelling would not have been possible without the incredible support of Epic Games and Unreal Engine, who are pioneering the transformation of screen storytelling. We are also very proud to partner with Creative England's Creative Enterprise Programme, you can find out more about the Creative Enterprise Programme and the two new grant funds they have available for screen industry business planning post-COVID and to develop innovative new ideas, both at creativeengland.co.uk. If you are enjoying the show and want to discover more about the future of film, head on over to futureoffilm.live. 
Here you can check out all four seasons of the podcast, explore our other free resources like Rebels of Storytelling, and download the free Future of Film report. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening, and now please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Diana Williams. Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time. I am so excited to be talking to you today about your work in working with storytellers, building story universes, uh, and your work at MWM. And I thought perhaps maybe we should just start by... If you if you could explain about your work at MWM, what 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 about the company and yeah, and what is it that you look after there? Um, so MWM, which stands for Madison Wells Media, we um, we believe in leading with the projects and supporting creators. Um, so we partner to produce and publish uh, creative content across a variety of platforms, whether we're talking B2B or B2C, so direct-to-consumer. Um, we're story first, and we're business building in our approach. We want to really focus on helping creators bring their creative and their stories, no matter what format, um, to an audience, um, whether we, again, whether we go, uh, B2B, so that is, you know, working with distributors directly. So your film studios, your streamers, et cetera, um, or by working on a merchandise plan, um, with the creator or, uh, putting out publishing, we try to find a variety of ways in which to work with that creator. What we're, our philosophy is that we do want to, as I like to call it, um, there's so much talent at MWM um, from the people that work there um, so that no matter the type of creator or the type of creative that walks into our office or virtually zooms into our office, um, they would find it hard to leave uh, because we offer so many different ways in which to get the creative out there. Well, it sounds it sounds amazing, and it sounds it, it sounds so incredibly exciting. What? Yeah, I guess sort of how how does that work in in practice? What are the um, when you talk about creators? You know, who 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 are who are these who are these people, and how does that? How do you sort of begin that relationship? And like you say, it's it's not restricted to one particular type of storytelling right yeah who are these creators um they are people who are ambitious and um have a have a distinct point of view on the world and on what they want to bring into the world so we are absolutely looking for people who uh, want to get into this game with us who want to be thinking outside the box and not so much a, a traditional way um they they're real go-getters and I'm looking for people who want to be partners with us that also can see where we're value add. Um, cause that just makes a great partnership. So, uh, the way that I generally work is that I can look at a project in any way. It can come in as a script, a book, an idea, 
um, a piece of merchandise, a doll. It doesn't matter. I just have to also see what it can be, um, what else it can be, where else it wants to go, what stories are within the world that are kind of screaming to be heard and screaming to be produced. Um, so we're open in a lot of ways in, in that. Um, I'm looking at uh, deep story worlds. I'm looking for deep for depth and breadth and width. Um, that, uh, if you kind of look at it, like the thing that first comes in, I kind of view it as like, it's the house. Um, and then I'm looking for doors and windows, uh, within that house that kind of get me out onto the street and then I can see what the other part of the world is. Um, so we're, um, it's a way to kind of engage with people on a different level than just kind of looking at the script for what it is which is a, a lot of words that I just said. It's kind of a word salad, but it's a, it's a methodology of kind of like I call creative forensics in which um, I'm kind of pulling apart what the world is and really diving into it with the, with the creator. And the creator can be a writer, it can be a producer, just again, it depends on whatever their, whatever their structure is where they come in. Um, but just what I'm trying to seek um, is a way to, pull the world apart and to discuss it and to dive in with the creator. Uh. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, um, and, and the, you know, when, when the creator comes to you, what, what does that sort of story uh, source material look like? Is that, is that a script or is that, can that just be a, uh, you know, treatment or an idea? Um, it, and I guess that's a different, that's a different way for people to think about their projects a little bit as well, isn't it? The idea that it's a, it's a world, not just a, you know, not just a single narrative. Yeah. Um, I will look at projects in any way um, to kind of talk about some of the ones that we currently have, for instance, Flyboy, which is created by Hebrew Brantley. Um, he's in the art world. Uh, Flyboy is very well known throughout uh, traditional arts, uh, which is what I call like galleries, museums and things like that. Um, but also he's part of um, the street culture world. And he does these amazing um, pop-ups with, uh, places like Joe Fresh Goods and Bait Shop. Um, so he's, he's traversing in a lot of worlds, but he is always thought in story. And so when you see the figure of Flyboy um, and you look at him and you can just see that there's so much story there and that's the way that Hebrew paints and creates. Um, we also have a project, Voice of the Stars, that came in as a pitch from uh, Ryan Koppel. Um, and it's also Adorned by Chi, um, which was a, um, a wonderful a creative world um, by Jackie Aye. Um, that's about four Nigerian girls and a guy and uh, who have magical powers. And it's steeped in the magical girl genre, but she owns it because it is, um, she's put a lot of Nigerian culture into it. It takes place in Nigeria. Um, but that was brought to me by a, a VC fund called 1863 Ventures um, for me to take a look at it because she's an entrepreneur and she had built this herself, but she had such a beautiful story world that I couldn't wait to jump in. So those are just three examples that came in different ways. There's also Museum of Lost Wonder, which is this amazing um, picture. It's a, it's a beautiful art book that talks to the idea that 
uh, wonder has been lost in the world and how can we get that back? It dives into Rosicrucians and different um, philosophers, uh, but there's not a linear story in there. Um, but with this wealth that the author Jeff Hoke put into it and this beautiful art, we're able to do, as I call it, creative forensics and pull it apart and start to figure out what, what kind of story could live in this world that Jeff Hoke has put together in this book. So um, a lot of it can be called a world building that we're doing, which is a word that um, has been a little bit misused lately, along with uh, the word, along with the two letters I and P. Um, I think that a lot of the industry throw these words around and they don't really know what they mean. Um, they're they're just a word to them, and yet to creators and to myself, um, world building um, it's a way again in which to think about how your characters breathe, live, and walk through a setting that you've thought about and you'll find a story that works for film or works for TV or works for publishing within that world. But then there's other stories as well that could work in video games, console or mobile. That could be a comic book. That could be uh, a regular book. Um, so that's kind of the way that we're approaching it. We do want to be able to look at anything in any format and start to sculpt what it can become. Uh, you know, obviously it sounds, sounds incredibly exciting and creative, but clearly it's the business model of um, MWM to, 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 to work like this. You, you see that there's, a, there's an untapped opportunity, like, I guess, to work across platform and be a bit more kind of, yeah, less, yeah, like you said, story first and, and medium second is is yeah I, I don't know what my question is but i'm just I have like, something yeah yeah so um in a lot of ways what we're talking about are building franchises and i think franchise has had a bit of a bad rep um i'd like to kind of reown that world that word um franchises are just a way for a creator and for the creative to have long-term sustainability and longevity in a very crowded marketplace. So we don't want to look at it um, as a way of taking away creativity. And I think that has been kind of the rep that franchises have gotten. Um, and we don't look at it that way. We want to be able to create a business model that allows the creator to survive, that allows the creative to always find an audience as the audience changes every year, every decade. And also the marketplace is getting, it's super crowded. There's so many different things that are vying for our attention, whether we're talking in the home between listening to music, uh, watching television, just chilling out, uh, being on the phone, talking to your family to, you know, we'll see what happens you know, in the future. But like when you go out for entertainment, when we're talking about theater, we're talking about live events, there's just a lot vying for our attention, not to mention just your daily life. So a franchise allows a way for the audience to find you and for your creative to pop out of a crowded marketplace. Um, and it's a little bit about, again, another overused phrase is, you know, how you want it, when you want it. But all that means is I maybe just want to listen to podcasts, but I love this story world I heard about, you know, is it a podcast? I love this story world. I just want to read about it. 
So that's what a franchise can do. And I think that it has a bad rep because of uh, sometimes a model can, can go into the bad form of licensing. And that's when licensing kind of forgets about the creator, kind of forgets about what the nuts, what the, what the center of the creative was. And it starts to just feel namby pamby and kind of blah and bland and not that thing that that gets you that gets the audience so excited so that's what we're doing at mwm and we have that ability to kind of look at these different story worlds in so many different ways because of the way the company is structured we have an interactive side that is looking at vr and gaming as a way in which to express the story we have um, a theater division that is looking at the different types of live events that can be done in a story uh, we have film and television we have done publishing we've done comic books as well as we've done podcasts so we are trying to be as expansive as a creator would would want in a partner yeah it sounds like an amazing partnership and uh and and process you, can you tell me a little bit more about the creative forensics that that process how you how you the steps you go through to take that forward um it's that's kind of an it's, it's involved it's not involved it's, it's a lot of talking so once um i decide that i really like a project that i'm value add to it that i have an ambitious creator who also wants to kind of explore it in different ways we just dig into the story so for instance if it comes in as a script I'm really looking at the different dialogue that's in there and seeing what the characters are saying. Um, if you think about the normal conversation that you have with someone, they'll always say something that gives you an indicator as to their past or something that's happened before. So when I'm reading dialogue, if um, an aunt says, oh, I lost, I lost my leg in the, you know, the war of the wasps, you're kind of like, well, what the heck is the war of the wasps? And then you can um, dive into that and you can, like the war of the wasps is so short, it's maybe too big to actually put onto, uh, onto the screen. So to add to like your film budget, but yet as a video game, that could be kind of amazing um, or it's a great comic book. And so I'm looking at the dialogue in that way and pulling that apart or if someone like even in dialogue, you just may mention, you know, my aunt Mary did X, Y, Z. Well, who's Aunt Mary? What else has happened with her? What was her life? Is there something else we can explore there? Did she have something to do with the characters in this book? So that's what I mean. So every time that there's a line of dialogue or any kind of description, you're asking more questions to kind of just build out that world. It's like, I kind of look at this beginning stage as kind of like at a cocktail party and you're meeting a bunch of strangers and you're thinking about all the questions to ask to kind of get to know those strangers or to get to know their backstory or even asking about these buildings. Like you look at a building and I just start to wonder, well, who built it? When was it here? What was the material? Who built the material that had to come into this? How was it transported in? All those questions broaden out the world. So that's what I call creative sprints. How do you sort of work with technology in your, in, in, as part of that process? Are you, for example, doing any work with, with game engine or virtual production? Do you see that like as a way to help develop these worlds and develop these ideas? Uh, yeah, I love tech um, a lot. So um, I do think about tech um, 
when developing a project, when looking at, we put together uh, what I call a creative roadmap and we think about what the sequencing is. Are we going linear? So the idea being we start in publishing and then with that, we'll go into uh, a podcast. And after that, we look at uh, pitching film and television or are we doing parallel paths so while we're developing this thing we're also going we're also going out and pitching this thing it just it de- again depends on the project it depends on the uh, creator and how they want to operate so when it comes to tech if we're I, I I think about unified assets a lot I think about how can we create an asset at the beginning that can be used across platforms um, this comes from my time of also being at Lucasfilm and working with a wonderful gentleman named Kim Library, in which we were always talking about how to do this creation at the beginning and use it for previs or whatever. And then, um, and also put it in, can you use VR as a way to previs? Can you use VR as a way to look at your scenes, to think about how things fit together and then go into the other platform. And this is, it's, tough for companies or studios to be thinking in this way, primarily because um, you're looking at an upfront cost that then you would amortize that cost across other platforms. But because studios are centralized around the thing to be made then, and usually that thing, which uh, some people call the mothership or the thing that begins the franchise, Usually that thing is the film or television. And so they don't want to think about any other platforms prior to that. They only think about the film or they only think about the television. And then once that film or TV series um, does well or performs to someone's category of what well is, then they'll look at the other platforms. But then at each point, you're then recreating the assets again and again and again. So that just keeps popping off. So I do want to think about a way in which you can look at an asset from the very beginning. Um, but you know, you can't have tech overtake the story. I think that's the most important thing as well. And so bottom line, if the story doesn't work, you can come up with tech or anything else all you want, but if your story is, is meh, if your story is a week from the center, it's got nowhere to go. It, it just doesn't work. So that's why at the beginning working with the creator is so important, um, to like make sure that that story is solid and then everything else is just added benefit to it. You're listening to the Future of Film podcast with me, Alex Stoltz, and I'm in conversation with master storyteller, Diana Williams. If you are enjoying the show, do check out the Future of Film report, which is available to download for free at the home of Future of Film, futureoffilm.live. In this section, I start by asking Diana about how storytellers should approach their work. Should they be thinking in terms of story worlds and multiple platforms, or should they just be concentrating on telling a good story? That's a great question. Um, I think storytellers should be just thinking about their story. If they naturally are already involved with tech, if they get excited by tech, if they are if they are thinking about how tech can be employed in their story, great. But if they don't, they shouldn't because you're a storyteller, not a tech teller. So, and there are people who understand tech and they understand the value add to what you're doing. So we should let the talented people do what they do. 
but your job is to tell a great story. And that's what you'd be thinking about. If you naturally are thinking about other platforms because you respect and you're, you admire what other platforms can do to your, can do to your story. And that's great. But if all you want to do is tell a wonderful story in a 90 to 120 minute format or film, if you want that experience of, of it flickering on the screen, 90 feet away from you, if you think a television series will tell your story the best way, then that's what it should be. Don't make something into something it doesn't want to be. And that you also don't have to feel for. Um, I think that when, you know, when I first started working with the creator, I asked them why they came to make this story. Um, because I want to make sure that they're coming into it in the right way, that this is the story that they really want to tell and that they also think that there's an audience for it. Because if you're not thinking about the audience, then you're kind of making art in some ways because something should be hung up in a museum and that's someone can have their own experience about and that's kind of it. And that's great, but that's not what we do. We're creating entertainment for an audience. We want to create stories that get out in a way that find an audience and the audience can be enriched by, be engaged by, and also be in, entertained with. So if a storyteller will say to me, well, you know, I hear that horror is hot, so I decided to make the script. Well, I'm not going to work with you because that you're coming from an inauthentic place more than likely you probably don't respect that genre. Um, and that makes you an inauthentic storyteller. Um, and it also means that the first set of notes you get, whether it's from me, whether it's from a buyer, whether it's from another producer, you're going to crumble because you don't understand your story. You don't understand your story world. You don't respect your characters. Um, and that just, just doesn't make you a, a great partner for us. So we're really strong with storytellers, but you, the storyteller has got to be strong in the story pocket. That creator has got to understand that story inwards and outwards, backwards, forwards, left, right, center. Um, so that when, because no matter what, when you're creating a story, once you get done writing it, a lot of people come involved, whether it's producers, DPs, uh, technologists, actors, there's a lot of people involved to bring something to an audience. And at each point, this crew, this team, these other partners are going to ask questions. And if you don't understand your story, and if you can't understand that question, you're not a great partner to people who want to bring it to the audience. Donna, you're a, you're a storyteller yourself. I mean, obviously you, 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 your work at MWM is, is storytelling, but you also, I know, have your own projects uh, I'd love to hear a bit about that and how you bring these principles to your own work. Well, um, since uh, really since working at Lucasfilm and then coming over to NWM, um, um, I don't work on my own projects anymore. I have, you know, because now I'm an employee, um, but Prior to that, yeah, I was a producer and a creator. And so um, with this creator, um, Zach Mortensen, we came up together as producers in New York and in L.A. And um, we come with this, uh, Zach had come with this great idea called The Gate Crashers, which uh, is a big story world. It's about ambulances in the future and um, a world that's set up by gates. And that's why we can get from one place to the other. Um, with Zach, we just kind of, um, we blew out this idea. We kind of built it out in the world. And then we had decided on our own to make it a comic book because we'd gotten offers on it, but they, 
people didn't get it and they just wanted, they didn't want to build an audience around it and just wanted to kind of jump right into it. And I think that's a little bit of the problem with the studio model in that, uh, again, it goes back to that world of like, well, it's IP. Um, but then they don't think about, you know, the fact that it does take anywhere from two to 20 years to get a project going at a studio. <laughs> That's a wide range, but I'm, I'm actually not being hyperbolic here. Um, so, but in that time, there's so many things that can be done to start to build the audience. And I think, um, unfortunately, one thing that has been going on is that there's a traditional thinking that if you do anything else before the film comes out or before the television series launches, that you're cannibalizing your audience, that if they look at the comic book, my God, they will not come to the film. And that's kind of ridiculous thinking, which has started to kind of peter out from the exec ranks, which is great. Um, but we had to deal with that a lot on the gate crashers. And so we just continued to create our comic book. We're on uh, issue eight now, I believe. Um, and and now it, we uh, we and really Zach has um, optioned it for television, um, but we're, there's still like a fight. And I think what is what is beneficial um, for me being at MWM and for any creators that come in is that I've been on both sides of the table. I've been a creator like they are. I've also have been um, exec and a producer. So I'm able to kind of talk to them and walk them through a lot of things. Um, it is really frustrating um, at this point that we are still dealing with some boilerplate contracts at the studios that honestly um, are still built from, I think, the, the 60s. And so there's a lot of things in there that don't make a lot of sense. Um, the, uh, for example, video games in a boilerplate contract at all studios, video games are still considered merchandise which is ridiculous. Video games are a storytelling platform. So if you can separate out television from a boilerplate film contract, video games should also come out of that. It's, it's such a, an amazing way in which to explore the story world. Um, and let's be clear, also video games kind of are doing a little bit better than uh, the film industry is. So um, that's, that's something that I bring to the table because I've seen those boilerplates. Um, I think also what is advantageous is that I understand audience because I have with my own comic books, you have gone direct to consumer. Um, and at NWM, that is, again, as I said before, that's part of what we're doing. We have this amazing team um, that we call Team Air, but it's audience inside and research. And they also help to explore what audiences are. And so to be able to work with them to talk about like where the audience is, if the creator walks in with an audience, if a creator doesn't have an audience, but has the story world that we understand and we can kind of find the audience, we're able to kind of craft together what that strategy is. And so my experience from doing so many different types of projects, from producing so many different types, from being a creator myself, um, I can help walk a creator through so many different angles of this industry. Um, I've also done production. I came up in the industry as an assistant director. I've worked on a lot of big studio features as an AD, having to figure out what that strategy is, how we can get a shot, um, and then the same as a producer, I've worked on indies in which we were able to make for like $10,000 and then upwards to other projects. So that's what my experience brings. And I really enjoy being able to work with so many different creators because no matter what type of creator I'm working with, um, I think I'm able to really talk to them in so many different ways. 
Well, I mean, that sounds sounds amazing. And I think every creator would like to have a, a partner like you, Diana. But what are the what are the challenges? Because it just sounds it sounds almost like utopian. It sounds like there's some you know, incredible opportunities out there. The new technologies coming together. Yeah, all these opportunities for um, getting stories out there, but there obviously are challenges. What how, what what do you sort of see as being the main challenges? Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of challenges. Um, from the NWM side, one of the biggest challenges, one of the first challenges is, is making sure that the creator is up for this. Um, that's again, that's at the beginning of the process, just making sure that they want to go down this path because it's a lot. It's a lot of thinking, it's a lot of strategy, um, it's a lot of talking. Um, so that's the first challenge for, for our companies, making sure that we've got the right partners. Um, the second is also that there's a gold, there's always this gold rush to every platform. And so every time we turn around, um, like what? So just 10 years ago, there was a gold rush of like, well, I couldn't get my film script made, so I'll just make a comic book. And that is so dismissive of what the comic book can do for a story. You just don't put your script into a, into a comic book. A comic book does something specific and unique to a story. So um, I spent a lot of time kind of walking through all the different platforms that people understand really what they do. A film, it tells a, a complete um, an engaging story in 90 to 120 minutes in a, generally speaking, in a group experience. Uh, a book allows you to have your imagination run wild while you're reading it. Um, comics, the, uh, the, the, the combination of the visual um, with the, the words in the dialogue bubbles and then the, what happens in the alleys um, in between panels. They're just all different formats. And so our challenge is getting people to understand what each platform does uniquely. And then from the broader scale, as I said before, the industry is um, sectioned off in two ways, film or television. And that means the intake valve is that I have to talk to a film person when I go into a bar, I have to talk to a, somebody involved in television. And MWM is, is, is in the our approach is that we want to create franchises. We want to be able to talk about the longevity, but when you talk about franchises and longevity, what you are in essence saying is this is what something can become. When there is a script or a piece of publishing, whether we're talking a book or a comic book, um, that, uh, that says, here's what the story is. And most film and or television executives, gatekeepers, are looking for what the thing is because in defense of the gatekeeper, they have to bring it up the ladder. So they have to also convince their boss that this is something that, that they should do. They got to then convince like the finance department that this is a good use of money. They got to convince the marketing department that yes, you can figure out how to market this thing. And so at each point they've got to get buy-in. So knowing what the thing is, is important. And since we're in the business of saying, here's everything it can become. And when you look at all the studios, Right now, most of the studios are all conglomerates, so they all have a lot of lines of businesses. Most of them do have 
excuse me, most of them do have publishing. Uh, they have audio. They have some type of game, whether they own just a mobile game company or whether they are full-fledged partners to um, a bigger console company. They all have these other lines of businesses. Um, so they do can create and can work with franchises, but there isn't the intake valve at these studios. There is no franchise department in which to bring a franchise to. There is, there isn't that there's biz strategy, but they're usually in the business of buying other businesses. They're in the business of doing M and A or doing acquisitions. So there's not a person there to look at a franchise. Now, if the franchise is around a business, then that makes then they can look at that. So, you know, example, the one everybody knows, of course, is Disney buying Marvel, Disney buying uh, Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm had the franchises of being Star Wars and Indiana Jones and others, but that Lucasfilm was a business. So that was what was bought. The same with Marvel. Marvel is a company. It is a business. So, but we're bringing in franchises that are story-led, that are creator-led, and that talk about what it can become. But I still have to deal with the film and television person. So no matter what, while we're doing the creative roadmap, while we're doing creative forensics, we still have to be thinking about, well, what is the film script? What is the TV series idea? Um, and so that can get a little bit frustrating for us in WN, but also can get frustrating for the creator who does want to talk about how expensive the world can become, but then they have to only think about the film because that is the first place that we have to bring the project in. So that's, I'm hoping that starts to change a bit in the industry. I'm hoping that they, um, that each studio, and I, so I, I'm using studio kind of as a broad term. So studios, network streamers, those are the buyers. Those, uh, what is great about all of them is that that's the intake valve. That's, that's the intake valve, but that's also the megaphone. They, um, they've got the big marketing department. They've got the distribution method. Um, they know how to get to the audience. That's, that's the way the industry is set up. And what I'm hoping is that a lot of these companies start to do start to think about a franchise. I think of the other issue that happens is that the film person is only involved with the film. Once the film gets done, and is out there, that film person joins speaking moves on to the next thing. If the film is a hit, it then goes to the licensing department or it goes to licensing division or somewhere else. But that somewhere else, that's done by that gal over in building B. So that film person is not involved with the extension of that story world, that, of that film. They were the first to find it. They were the first to help develop that film and get it out there. But once it becomes and goes into these other formats, they're not involved. And so when you're not involved with the longevity of that project, you're only looking at that thing and that's all you care about. Um, so that's, that does make it a bit difficult for us to um, position these creators and these creatives um, when you're trying to say, but look at everything it be can become because that's just not the business they're in. So that is a challenge. I think we'll get past it, but right now that is the immediate challenge in the industry for us, for MWN. Yeah, and, and uh, you know that makes complete sense as as being being a challenge. It's, and it's also, you know, like you say, these studios, um, particularly the the traditional ones, do have all these different aspects to them, which would perfectly position them to take this concept and and really run with it. But it's this structural approach, and I. I yeah, I, I I wonder what a new structure would 
could look like or what, what that might be. And we've seen with virtual production how some of the siloed stuff on set or before in, in a production is is collapsing and converging. People are, you know, collaborating at an earlier stage altogether, different departments, which is really transformative and disruptive, but incredibly creative. And yeah, it's like, what does that look like on a business level? And how would a how would a studio re re repurpose? You know, maybe it needs to be built from the ground up. I, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not sure either. Um, it's something I, I think about a lot. Uh, again, we're NWM is lucky in that we're structured in that way. Again, between having our audience and insights, interactive, live, film, TV, and then broadly franchising is what I do. Um, so we are structured in that way, but it is harder for a studio to restructure themselves because of the way they've been set up. Um, even if, and I do think that there's a lot of people at the studios who want to do this. Um, they get excited by it, but you know, um, minds can be easy to change, but accounting codes are really difficult to switch up. Um, so that's a, a, a big reason I think why they, they can't change. And when you're also, when you're, organized around quarterly earnings, which makes sense. Um, from a business side, it's hard um, to incentivize people and divisions to work together because every platform, every division, they have their own production cycle and their own marketing cycle. And so to bring those things together, I mean, if it takes anywhere from two to five years to create a video game where we're talking mobile or console, um, versus publishing that can uh, get up and going and you can have a, a manuscript within nine months and then you have your marketing and then you have your publishing calendar versus a film that once greenlit can really get going, but then it's just about getting on the calendar. It's hard to have all those things work together. They need to work together in a way in which if something doesn't happen, so if a video game gets delayed, it doesn't kill the book. Or if the film changes a character, it doesn't kill the video game. And so what we're trying to do is create what I call dotted lines between the platforms. So if it's a dotted line, the platforms can break away from each other, but still stay authentic to the story world. If it's a solid line between the two platforms, then it becomes a whiplash effect and uh, each gets destroyed in the process. But a dotted line allows it to break away and then continue to be its own thing. But the, the fan and the audience will still know that it's a part of the same story world. So that's tricky. I mean, nothing I'm saying here is uh, there's no silver bullet here. Um, it's not like one, two, three, bango, we've got magic happening. It's, it's a hard process. It's, and it takes a lot of strategy. So, you know, if there were to, have to be like uh, franchise departments that operate more from the development side and just from the licensing side and can get, can get in with the film person, can get in with the person that's looking at publishing and they can talk about a project from the earlier stage, I think that this process could start to happen um, at on the studio side and the network side and the buyer side. Well, um yeah, it's, it sounds like you know you 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 are starting to put in place some of the some of the ways in which it might be able to to you know push forward. And, and I guess now we're thinking about the future of film, and 
you know, the, this might be one future that we move into. But oh yeah, what Diana, what do you what do you think when if, if you th- think of a future of film, what do you see that future as um, becoming? Um, I generally, I don't, I kind of think about the future story. Um, because also like my job and my interest is to not just only think about film. Um, so the future story, um, we have to be innovative, ambitious, and nimble. I think that's the only way this is going to work. I mean, COVID has completely shown where the process um, in this industry is broken. I mean, the fact that a lot of the industry went on to like a hard pause kind of shows that we've got some broken parts to it. Um, So I think the future story has to be looking at ways to be newly creative. And if we look at what the definition of creative is, it is problem solving. Um, So how are we going to be able to reach, speak to, engage with, enrich, and entertain an audience? So the thing is that no matter what changes for the future of story, future film, like the the audience isn't going away. Um, It's always going to be there. We just have to figure out the ways in which to reach them. And those ways are always going to be shifting. And so therefore, if story and creators aren't nimble, they're just not going to reach their audience. And so I think we have to always be thinking about how are we going to make the impossible real? And we have that opportunity now. The um, With the industry being on this kind of pause since, since March of 2020 with COVID, um, we have the ability, I'll just use a video game term, to um, respond. We have a do-over. And so we, we've been talking about like getting back to normal, but we really kind of shouldn't get back to the normal because normal wasn't, was, was, was okay, but we had a lot of problems, you know, anything from like not great hiring practices to bland projects going out there to, um, to not understanding or dismissing or being kind of rude to an audience. Those are things that we can leave behind. We can leave behind legacy issues and start anew. And that's what a respawn does in a video game. Oh, I died. Okay, now I'm back. Maybe I won't make that same mistake again that got me killed. Maybe now I've learned and I can do better and be better. And that's what we have an opportunity to do. And I think there's a lot of creators out there who want this respawn, who want this do-over, who are super excited to jump back into this and find new ways to get the creative out there and to uh, reach an audience and engage with that audience. I think there's a lot of executives that are looking at um, how they've been doing business and want to do business in a smarter way and be more efficient and um, to be more innovative. Um, so I think it's great that we have that opportunity. So I think that what we want is for everyone, you know, this shouldn't be a time for everyone to be paralyzed. It's been terrible. No choice about it. Um, but I think we, um, we've got to be bold. I think everything that has been happening from March, 2020 till now, um, from what's happened, not only in this industry, but what's been happening in the world. There's a lot of voices that are, that are singing out, that are speaking up, that are speaking out, that are saying, you know, I deserve to live, to be heard, to run, jog, bird watch, all of that. All these voices are saying like, you know, let's be better. Let's do better. Let's get out there. And I think if we're in this industry 
from what we can control. I mean, we can't stop everything. You know, systemic racism is there. It's in the DNA of a lot of countries. Um, because all the systemic isms are there. And so, we, you know, there are organizations set up to do that. We are set up, we're storytellers. We're set up to tell stories. And we can create images that um, get other stories out there. We create these images that allow people to think differently, that allow people to dream, that allow people to be bold. And that's what our actual jobs are. And that's what I'm excited to do. Um, we, a lot of people talk about the survival of the fittest and I don't agree with that. It's about the survival of the adaptable. It's about, um, business and creative clues together, um, to create sustainability and to make great stuff. That's our job. And I'm super excited to kind of go into the future with creators that want to be bold, that want to be innovative and want to get out there. What a way to end it. That was my conversation with the brilliant Diana Williams from MWM. If you want to find out more about Diana or any of the guests on the show, listen to other episodes or get in touch, you can do all of this now at futureoffilm.live. So that's it for this episode. I'd just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. And don't forget to send me your suggestions for what you would like to see or learn about at the Future of Film Summit 2020.